You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen Podcast with me, Poonam Verma. This week, we're talking Ramadan recipes. And Dima, the recipe developer of Spinney's, is sharing some great recipes that she's got on the shelves at Spinney's. We've also got clinical dietitian keeping you in check when you're fasting during Ramadan. We also meet a chef who's combining Portuguese and Japanese food together, which is very unusual. Mike Govinda's is a very healthy Indian restaurant, which is based on Ayurvedic cooking methods. And one woman who's sharing some of her insider tips and trends on how the F&B industry is doing here in the UAE. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Now, I thought my job was cool, but apparently a recipe developer sounds even cooler. I think uh, this next person eats a lot more than I do, or she definitely test tastes some, and that's Dima Hamasi. She is from Spinneys, actually a product developer, but recipe developer too. How are you today, Dima? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. Now, before we get into what Ramadan dishes you've developed for Spinneys, I want to know, as a recipe developer, were you as a kid always test tasting in the kitchen? Uh, definitely. I mean, I grew, I grew up in an Arab household, and I also grew up in a lot of different countries, including Singapore, and I also grew up in Dubai and the UK, and I've always been surrounded by food. It's always been a great love of mine. And I'm just so happy that I was eventually able to turn that passion into my career. But but here's the thing. I talk to a lot of chefs and I'm like, you know, you cook, you're developing recipes. When you go home, do you want to cook? Are you okay with that? Or do you like, nah, I'm going to order in today? <laughs> uh, okay. Generally, the answer is no, I don't like to cook. However... Only when you get paid by Spinneys. <laughs> exactly. When I was working in kitchens as a professional chef, it was the last thing I wanted to do, go home and cook. Also, you get home so late, you know, after a dinner service. Now I have, you know, relatively stable working hours, so I do cook a lot more. Ah, so you were a chef before. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's interesting. And what, did you specialize in any typical cuisine? I was always really into um, fresh produce and farm-to-table. Mm. Um, Obviously, as I've gotten older, I've become more connected with my roots. And so now I'm really enjoying going back into Mediterranean cuisine and Middle Eastern cuisine and seeing how I can modernize some of those recipes. Don't tell my mum. But yes, in the past, it was always like farm to table, fresh produce, however I could work as close to nature as possible. So you've developed some recipes for Ramadan. Are these based around some of the dishes you grew up with during Ramadan? Um, You know what? Sometimes, yes. However, I'm, I'm always very mindful about being as inclusive as I can mm. when doing recipe development for all of our clientele. We live in such, you know, an international place, such, a, such an international market. And I always want to make sure that, you know, I don't isolate any particular, you know, nationality or shopper. So I always try to make it as broad as possible. Mm. Okay. So let's go through some of these. And the first one has already got my... my oh. I'm already craving it right now. Um, <laughs> crescent dough balls with melted camembert. Oh, so I have a soft spot for camembert, I have to say. So, so, so you've come up with that. Tell me, tell me what it is. And um, these are all going to be on the shelves, by the way, everybody listening. You can find Dima's recipes on the shelves at Spinney's. So go ahead. What is that? So it's basically, um, it's, you know, the classic dough ball that everyone knows and loves. Mm. It's already been par-baked, so that's very convenient. All we need to do is pop it in the oven. We have launched this product before in different shapes for different festive seasons, but obviously now we're doing it in the shape of a crescent to match our season now. Um, and then on the side of that comes a sort of 
small camembert. And the idea is you just kind of take the entire thing out of the packaging, pop it in the oven for five minutes, and it is ready to eat almost immediately. The thing is, camembert is there to share, but it's like once you start, you can't stop. That's the issue. Yeah, you don't have to share it. We say share, but you just do whatever you want to do. Okay. You won't tell anyone. It's going to be a heavy, heavy stomach after that one if I have the whole of it. All right. Um, the good old carrot and coriander soup. That's just like comfort food to me anyway. Yeah, it definitely is. So last Ramadan, we actually we launched um, a set of soups that ended up doing so well that we kept them on the shelves as a year-round product. So this year we're adding to those and hopefully they will also do well and you'll be able to see them, you know, throughout the rest of the year. The first one we've launched is a very nice and creamy and comforting carrot and coriander soup. It's got plenty of sweet carrot, lots of fresh thyme, and it's spiced with a little bit of coriander powder. And then it's finished off with uh, fresh chopped coriander. And then we brighten it up a little bit with just, just a touch of vinegar. And how do you make it creamy? Do you actually add cream in it? We do not. We just blend it up very, very nicely. Yeah, I'm the same. I like it healthy because some people do put a lot of cream, and especially the French, I should say. I taste yeah. great, but it's, it's uh, not very healthy. So we've got t- the next one on the shelves is chunky curried chicken and sweet potato soup. Oh, is it like yes. a chicken in a soup? Yes, yes. It's actually our first protein-based soup because all of our soups so far have been vegetarian or vegan. Mm. So it's our first protein-based soup and it's our first chunky soup because all the other ones are blended. Mm. Um, And this is quite nice because it's a little bit sweet. It's got coconut milk in it, but it's also a little bit bit spicy as well. Um, It's got chunks of sweet potato. It's got shredded chicken breast. And lots of, um, you know, fresh ginger and a hearty mix of spices. And it's also got some, uh, some lentils as well. This doesn't feel like a starter in any way. This is like, once you have this, I don't think you need anything else. It's got coconut milk, sweet potato and lentils. That in itself with the chicken is quite a hearty soup. It is. But, you know, because it's coconut based and we also add stock into it as well, um, it's not as heavy as it sounds. I mean, these soups can kind of make, let's say, one large bowl if it's just you eating and you want to have a piece of bread on the side. Or you can share it between two people and have it as a starter and then you can kind of go on to your crescent tables or (laughs) whatever else you want to eat. Yeah. So the next one is interesting. uh, Chilled gazpacho soup. Now, I remember the first time I ever came across this. I was in Spain and I was sitting there and they would do, would you like some gazpacho soup? I said, what is that? Because I hadn't had it. I was quite young. And he said, it's cold, kind of peppery tomato soup. And I went, why would I have cold tomato pepper? It just didn't make sense to me. But I understand the climate there and everything. So uh, now I like it. But um, what have you put in yours? Yeah, it's definitely an acquired taste. I remember, you know, the first time I had pretty much the same experience as yours on family holiday. And I was in a very, very, very hot south of Spain. And it, it came and I was so happy because Spanish food can be quite heavy. Yeah. Um, and we're kind of trying to follow the same thing here. You know, we have also very warm summers. Um, and we thought it might be interesting to have a chilled soup. Um, and it's actually, this recipe is not cooked. So it is raw. Oh. And as a result, it's very nutritious. Um, and we've got a sort of combination of, you know, ripe red tomatoes, fresh cucumber, capsicum, um, a little bit of vinegar and... Um, it's all blended together with extra virgin olive oil, and that's what makes it so creamy because uh, it kind of turns into a little bit of an emulsion. So um, it's really great. I personally just like to put a little bit of olive oil in mine, maybe grate some fresh pepper on top, maybe add some crunchy croutons. But it's a very, it's a, very, it's a great, let's say, lunch, especially as it gets hotter and, it's, um, and we go into the summer season. So authentically, is this always made raw and just blended? 
Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Mm. Okay. <laughs> the next one on the shelves is, I don't even know how to pronounce it, is this spatch, spatch hot chicken? A spatch hot chicken, yeah. What is that? So, so a spatch hot chicken is basically um, a whole chicken that's had its backbone removed and then it's sort of flattened out. So it's a whole chicken. Um, and you might recognize it from some of the sort of more famous restaurants. You'll find it at Nando's, for example. And the reason why it's so great and why people love it so much is because it's flattened out in this way. The cooking time is way shorter than, than roasting a whole chicken. Mm. And it just makes for a, a very quick, you know, 20, 25 minutes in the oven and you've got dinner ready. Fresh roasted chicken. Um, we already have a couple of spatchcock chickens. We have a garlic and herb one. And we thought we would, and they're doing so well and people love them. So we thought we'd add that by, you know, introducing some flavors that are a little bit closer to this region for, you know, the Ramadan season. This is a Ras al Hanout spatchcock chicken. So it's sort of fed from Morocco. Um, and it's got 13 different spices in the spice blend. Um, and wow. it also has, you know, ginger, cardamom, cinnamon, nutmeg. Like these are the kinds of things you can expect. But we also added a bit of fresh lemon and some garlic, some fresh garlic. Um, and it's just great, you know, with a side salad or roasted potatoes or root vegetables, depending on what you're in the mood for. Sounds very flavorable with all those uh, herbs in it, for sure. Um, next, a little bit of Morocco, I feel, the tagine, the chicken tagine yeah. with apricots and olives. I love sweet and savory mixed together, so I love tagines. Mm. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so this is actually a kind of new product in the, the spinach in the sense that um, it's, it's being sold in an oven-proof aluminium tray. We don't actually really have much of that. Mm. Um, so the idea is that you just sort of take the lid off and just pop the whole thing in the oven. And the chicken size, you know, it'll be, it'll be done in 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and it's essentially a whole meal just in one tray. And then you can, of course, add couscous. You can add some bread. But it's, it's um, chicken size that has been marinated in a rotorita paste. And then below that, you have a sort of tagine of apricots and chickpeas and olives, and it's chunky and it's, you know, sweet, a little bit spicy and savory. And it's, it's really, it's a very yummy one. I ha- yeah, I, ha- I had a late lunch and I'm already hungry again. So I'm just, <laughs> we're running out of time. So I'm going to go to the sea bass sure. because I, I really do like sea bass, but it's an Arabian spicy sure. sea bass. So um, are, you, are you trying all these? Well, um, obviously you're trying all these. When you're trying these dishes and you're making them, do you just want to eat? eat them like or do you stop do you know this is <laughs> one spoon's enough you know it's a little bit different when it's your work because you're not looking at it as a meal you're kind of looking at it as a job yeah um, and I've always had this and I'm sure a lot of other chefs can can say the same thing you know you're, you're looking at it as work and then I always invite my colleagues down to come and finish the food because there's always so much and I hate throwing it away I'm the same I hate it I take everything away with me <laughs> if I can't yeah. finish it okay so tell us about the sea bass briefly so this one was uh, originally inspired by mesguf, which is a famous um, Iraqi dish. Mm. Um, we've obviously adapted it to our market, where you can see that instead. And again, it's, it's a dry rub, and it's got you know lots of cumin and smoked paprika. And it's got dried lime powder for a little bit of a tanginess to it, um, and it's just a very light sort of convenient dish that you can again just you know take out, put in the oven. They're quite thin sea bass fillets, so it'll be done in about 10 minutes. And it's a really great light option, I would say, to break your fast or just to have for dinner or for lunch. Okay. And can I ask, are you fasting? I am not fasting, no. I I was going to say, for a recipe developer, it must be difficult for spinnies, right? 
Yeah, I can imagine it would be. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't have to deal with that challenge. Oh, but, um, yeah, I mean, we definitely have people in the office who are fasting, and we obviously respect that a lot. And I love Ramadan. I grew up in Dubai. I love Ramadan so much. It's a, it's a very sort of festive season for me. I love the evenings and, and the festivities that come yeah. with that. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to many, many iftars. And, uh, me too. <laughs> Definitely checking out some of your dishes as well on the shelves at Spinney. So, Dima, thank you so much and uh, happy Ramadan to you. Happy Ramadan. Thank you for having me. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. Now, a second day of Ramadan and it's important to take care of yourself. Yesterday, um, I met up with my trainer for a, 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 obviously a workout and there was something not right with him. I said, what's wrong with you? Your energy levels are really low. He says, I'm fasting. I said, I knew something was up and I didn't realize he was fasting and it, that was just day one and I could see his energy. But there are some benefits to fasting. Apparently, it can reset the body. So to find out more about this, I have live in the studio, uh, Dania Nasa Al-Atrash. She's a senior clinical dietitian from Bajil Hospital Dubai. Welcome to the show, Dania. How Thank are you, you doing? Thank you so much. I'm good. How are you? So are you fasting? Yes, fasting. A few more hours to go. Oh, see, you're counting. The <laughs> counting. Yeah. yeah, my trainer was like, I've got five more minutes and I could feel his pain. Yeah. I could feel him. So what was the first day like for you? Um, it was actually okay. Um, you can really tell coffee withdrawals were kicking in. How much day. coffee do you drink, Dania? Yeah, um, I would say two to three cups. Oh. Yeah, so... <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, it was okay. We managed. I think it's it, it goes well throughout the day. But then as it approaches like the last few hours, mm. it's like, you know, we, we do feel like it's time to eat. Do you know what was really interesting yesterday? So I was doing the travel report and I think it was four o'clock or something or maybe four, four thirty. I've never seen so many accidents on the street. And that was the first day of Ramadan. Yeah, it does get a bit tiring, especially at the end of the day. So energy levels are probably low. So, yeah, I mean, it is um, slightly expected. Yeah, no, it's tough because mentally, I mean, I know I'm like, I'm obviously, um, I've never grown up fasting. um, And I think I did a juice diet once in my life and I lasted a day and a half, you know. (laughs) So so I'm not very good. I I cannot concentrate. So. We do hear, you know, you hear a lot of, I know a lot of people have done intermittent fasting, for example. And for some of them, they've done it to lose weight. Some says it's just kept them healthy. Um, Ramadan fasting hours obviously are much more different. Mm -hmm. Now, the first few days can be hard. Is there anything you recommend people should or shouldn't be doing for the first few days to ease into it until they get used to it? Sure. So I think the first thing that people always um, look into after breaking the fast is just getting their coffee, um, their cups of coffee, I would say with an S, because coffee withdrawals start to kick in. So we try to decrease the amount of uh, caffeine that's consumed to make sure that you don't get, you know, severe headache, you don't feel very lightheaded. So reducing the consumption of um, caffeinated uh, beverages and also, the type of food that you're consuming is very important. So um, a typical Ramadan, you know, table would include so much good food because obviously you're like hungry throughout the day and you feel like you want to eat everything. So it's important to like portion control everything that you're consuming, starting from appetizers, trying to reduce the amount of uh, fatty food, um, choosing healthy ways of cooking food, like baking instead of frying, like, for example, sambusas or kubba, you know, those typical appetizers that you feel like, you know, you don't want to stop eating. 
But again, everything in moderation is very um, is recommended mm-hmm. and consuming enough fruits and vegetables because also um, dehydration is common. You're mm-hmm. trying to squeeze in your 2.5 to 3 liters of water mm-hmm. after breaking the fast, um, combining, you know, water, um, other sources of fluids like, uh, for example, um, smoothies or shakes or yogurt drinks. So these are ways in which you can incorporate, you know, fluids uh, into your diet throughout the hours after the hours of fasting. Mm-hmm. So tell us about some of the benefits of fasting. So we were just talking about intermittent fasting. Mm. So the difference between both is obviously the hours. And in Ramadan, obviously, we need to abstain from consuming water um, and coffee, whereas in intermittent fasting, you can consume liquids that have no calories. But um, according to research, it does actually help in increasing alertness and attentiveness. I know we do sometimes hear about the fact that it does the opposite, but there are some studies that mention that it increases the production of endorphins. So these are hormones that are responsible to um, increase uh, alertness. And also um, it could actually help in reducing stress levels, anxiety, because the adrenal gland produces a hormone called cortisol. Mm. Cortisol is responsible for decreasing um, stress. Um, Also, for those who have metabolic disorders, such as hyperlipidemia, diabetes, hypertension, plenty of studies mention that um, abstaining from food for a specific period of time, like fasting hours, can actually help in controlling um, the parameters of uh, diabetes, hypertension, and um, triglycerides rides, even LDL, bad cholesterol. Yeah. So you can see there's plenty of benefits in terms of metabolic health yeah. problems. I have very high cholesterol. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should start fasting. <laughs> fasting could actually help. I think, yeah, yeah, I think just not looking at food can actually help with yeah. me. Okay. <laughs> so um, a good friend of mine, actually, it was interesting because la- last year she was fasting and she suffered with migraines her whole life. So mm-hmm. she literally pops um, paracetamols every day, which mm-hmm. is obviously not healthy. But she said to me, when she was fasting, after the first week, her migraines went down. Do you know why that would be? Okay, so sometimes also, as I said, um, um, usually um, fasting in the right way is also very important. I want to add that. Uh, But um, it does affect the hormones that are released. So uh, let's say the hormones that are responsible for, let's say, causing headache, they actually tend to, um, the release decreases during the hours of fasting. Also, um, um, fasting helps in decreasing the production of uh, pro-inflammatory substances like monocytes or cytokines that actually increase inflammation. So you can see that um, abstaining from food does help in decreasing migraine levels. Um, It helps in decreasing inflammation. Also, some studies mention um, anti-cancer benefits out of fasting. Um, They don't really specify how many days of fasting it is. But initially, if you want to try fasting, like maybe twice a week, maybe once a week. But yeah, um, it does actually have plenty of benefits. However, I want to emphasize that the hours in which you break the fast, it's important to also take care of the type of food that you're consuming. That's that's what I was going to ask you. So how should we be breaking it with the right food? Okay. Rather than the insulin levels just go up straight away with a big piece of cake. (laughs) Right. So uh, breaking the fast with like a healthy, you know, our typical um, uh, Islamic way of breaking the fast is consuming dates Dates, or even uh, dried fruits. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, as dietitians, we always recommend um, a specific portion of dried fruits again, because um, fruits and dried fruits count as a fruit portion. They do have sugars. They do. Yeah, they have quite high sugar, some of them, don't they? Exactly. Yeah. But if you consume it in moderate amounts, 
amount, yeah. that would be great. So for example, three pieces of dates is equivalent to one serving of fruit. But again, you don't want to eat dates, dried apricots, raisins. That's going to end up, you know, you're going to end up with so much sugars if you consume yeah. excessive portions of that. And then, of course, hydration. It's important to hydrate mm. water. Um, try to avoid consuming um, extra juices. Or There are typical Ramadan drinks that are very common. They're very rich in sugars. So we emphasize consuming um, leban as a drink because it has calcium. Um, water is a good way to hydrate. Also soups. Soups count as a good source of fluids too, like lentil soup, vegetable soup, broth soups also, they count as fluids. How do you be careful during Ramadan, especially the iftars, not to put on weight over the month? Because it's so easy. Yeah, of course. Um, there are um, ways, obviously, in which you can plan your meals ahead. Um, if you, for example, focus on consuming protein-rich foods as opposed to a meal that's only rich in carbohydrates, protein actually adds satiety. Whether it is salmon or maybe grilled chicken or maybe grilled steak or um, you know tenderloin, these are good protein options that add satiety. Uh, filling up on vegetables is very important because it has fiber. Fiber adds a feeling of fullness. And And we do also have suhoor options. So suhoor options that are rich in fiber, um, try to at least have maybe oatmeal, uh, whole grain bread, um, fruits that are rich in fiber like raspberries, uh, pears. So the diet itself should be rich in fiber, mm -hmm. high in protein, and limit the intake of added sugars. You know, sweets are very, very common in Ramadan. So, um, so people still want to keep their energy levels up. They still want to, you know, stay healthy and fit. What about exercise times? Do you think there's a better time to exercise when you're doing this? Obviously, you've got to reduce that exercise, I'm sure. So um, I always like to um, give two options because, mm. I mean, I personally, if I exercise before iftar, I do feel tired and I know my workout won't be as effective. So I'll yeah. just keep it post, um, let's say, iftar meal in like three hours. So if you're the type of person who um, doesn't have energy levels to exercise before iftar, then it's fine to work out three hours after iftar. But if you do feel like you can do like a, three, a 30-minute brisk walk or like 30-minute jog and you're doing find you can exercise before um, iftar. I also want to add if it depends also on your goal. So if you want to build up muscle mass, it is better to do a muscle workouts after iftar, not before. Oh. Yeah, because before iftar, your energy levels are low. Yeah. Um, your your body might eat up the muscles, so you don't want to lose muscle mass. However, yeah. working out before iftar does also help in losing fat. Interesting. So when will you be working out today? Um, <laughs> yesterday I worked out. <laughs> It would be after iftar, definitely. After iftar. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I wish you a happy Ramadan. And, and you're, you seem very alert today for your yeah. second day. Compared <laughs> to my to trainer. Eat well. <laughs> yeah, I tried to eat well the day before, so it kind of helps, hopefully. Oh, okay, well, thank you so much thank for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Ramadan Kareem. Thank you so much. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. So when I was growing up and I went on holiday to Portugal, the one thing that it was known for when I was there was piri-piri chicken. And then obviously it's overtaken the world now. Um, but I haven't heard the term, I don't know how to pronounce this, so I'm going to put the chef's mic on, Portuguese niki food before. Is that how I pronounce it, chef? Yes, good afternoon. That's that's how you pronounce it. Yes, I have Chef Sergio Cruz. He's the chef de cuisine at Oanjo. Yes, That's right, Oanjo. Oanjo. That's the right pronunciation. Is Oanjo a Portuguese name? Yes, it's a Portuguese name. Actually, um, it means angel, and uh, oh. both in, in, in Japanese and Portuguese, so the, the, it has the same meaning. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, in this Japanese and Portuguese, it means angel. 
exactly. So that's why then uh, from this from this world. So then that's uh, all, all the concept came uh, came along. So uh, of the restaurant. So uh, from that on, from 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 this on, then we 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 st- we started this this concept and uh, and the restaurant. So this contemporary contemporary Nikkei Portuguese uh, cuisine. So it's a fusion between Portuguese and Japanese cuisine. So is this quite a common thing to do? Actually, no. We are quite unique here in Dubai. So it's the first uh, it's the first restaurant that combines both of cu- bo- the both cuisines. Uh, so. It's it's quite unique. Okay, so before we go into the actual um, menu, the dishes, the restaurant, because it only opened a few months ago, at the end of 2022, is that right? Yeah, exactly. We opened at the end of November. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, now we are uh, we are located in the tw- on the twenty fourth floor of of the Sheraton Mall of Emirates. Mm-hmm. Um, we have beautiful views of of Dubai skyline. I've so s- I've actually I've actually seen the views, but only from the pictures. So we're going to go yeah. into that. Let me let me talk about you first. Where sure. did you grow up in Portugal? In Portugal? Yeah, I grew up in uh, in Lisbon, the the capital. Nice. So all my life, uh, I've I, only been to the Algarve. I think. I don't yeah. think I've been to Lisbon. And I'll, yeah, you should also. But the Algarve is is that's where it's yeah. amazing. God, everybody goes. Yeah, everybody goes there yeah. for the holidays and everything. And I have to say, I did meet some really amazing chefs in the Algarve as well. A lot of like high end Michelin chefs and stuff. Yeah, and the food was amazing because you got a lot of seafood there. Obviously, yeah, a lot, a lot of seafood. So. so there must be a great connection because Japanese and obviously Portuguese the seafood is a you know it's it's very common dom- denominator there. Yeah, exactly. It's very common in both both countries. So seafood fish so i grew up also uh, living next to the sea so with with, uh, with all these uh, these amazing dishes that we have in 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 my country so what about japan how did japan japan come into your life did you go and study there did were you a chef there did you have a japanese friend or did you just have a great piece of sushi and thought i'm combining this <laughs> <laughs> actually uh, so i i work I work uh, abroad, uh, so I work in in Switzerland. So this is my uh, second experience working outside my country, yeah. in, here in Dubai. Um, so that's why I was working in a in a Japanese restaurant with a Michelin star also, and of where, course, where was that? It was in uh, in Switzerland in oh, the, in, in, Switzerland. in Switzerland, yeah, Japanese in a, yeah, in the mountains. So nice. in a in a small village. Uh, in a very famous hotel and and restaurant also, yeah. And there I had the opportunity to work with uh, with Japanese chefs. Oh wow, that must have been a whole different situation yeah, with their knives and they're very precise as well, aren't they? Yeah, they are very precise and uh, also perfection is is always very important mm. for a, for a Japanese chef. You see, I, I the fusion when I read it Portuguese. Um, Nikkei food, I was confused, like, why would you mix Portugal and Japan? But I kind of get it. So I'm Indian and I grew up in England. Yeah. Every Indian out there is going to relate to what I'm about to say. And it's very normal for us Indians to fuse the two together. So you could come to my house, chef, and I will put a chili in the omelette and probably one in the pasta. And the Italians are going to be like, what are you doing, (laughs) right? (laughs) But it's just like that little bit of spicy edge in probably bland food for an Indian, you know, person. And we mix and match that a lot. So how do you combine these two totally different cultures, textures and flavours together? Was that difficult? Was a lot of experimenting? Yeah, it's, it's not easy, um, especially because Portuguese uh, food is, is like more comfort food. Mm. So uh, regarding presentation is, is a challenge. 
But regarding flavors, so this uh, this involves also some uh, some creative process. Do, do you have piri piri sushi? <laughs> yeah, we have. We use uh, some some piri piri yeah, really? sauce. Yeah, in some what? of our our nigiris, for example. Oh, you do. Use, yeah, yeah. What what other kind of Portuguese ingredients do you mix with it that would be unusual that we wouldn't come across? Well, it's more about uh, it's uh, unusual products. It's um, it's uh, it's not so 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 easy to do. What we try to combine is all in all the proteins, all the fish, and uh, and then make uh, make this fusion with uh, in in our dishes. So mm. it's more about about uh, being creative and try to present the dishes in a, in a, in a different way. And what about presentations? Because when you look mm-hmm. at Japan, Japanese food, they're very precise in the presentation. Portuguese food, I remember obviously being on holiday, it was very relaxed food. You know, the prawns were just served yeah, in a exactly. bowl. So h- how does the presentation look? Yeah, Japanese presentation usually is very, very, very simple. So yeah. it's more about all about the technique and then the the, 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 the protein or the, the dish speaks for itself, like mm. the, the food, the food mm. actually. So... Um, uh, in 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 our case, is is just try to make the the best presentation as possible. Flavor is of course everything. V- everything, but of course, being also here in Dubai, I, I, this I, I feel that also has to be wow. So the food has to oh, be always wow. Everything has to be wow. Yeah, exactly. But you know, simplicity is also the best. You know, simple yeah. things as well. Mm-hmm. But your restaurant obviously isn't about simplicity. It is about wowing people. Yeah, also, but I agree with simplicity. Yeah. Not not that in the, in our dishes. Yeah. So I, we have to have loads of elements. No, yeah. it's just it's all about uh, great flavor and uh, and and good presentation. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8 with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. So uh, Chef Sergio Cruz is with us from Onajo. Uh, that's a newly opened restaurant in the Sheraton, the Mall of Emirates. So let's talk about the menu. Come on, chef. What is on the menu? What are some of these signature dishes that you have? Well, we have some some grilled octopus, for example, that we cook for uh, for twelve hours. Okay. So, how do you make that authentic Japanese Portuguese combination? Yeah, here, oh, not, with that. Yeah, here we we combine some some of the flavors, uh, some Japanese flavors with uh, with technique, also uh, Japanese and 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 Portuguese. For example, also we have a, a Portuguese duck rice, so that we we take all the ingredients, uh, simple ingredients from from uh, Portuguese, uh, from a Portuguese dish. But then we what we, is Portuguese rice? What's in that? Yeah, we have so rice. We have um, um, duck. Mm-hmm. We use we use leg confit leg, for example, duck oh, breast. Okay. Yeah, all these uh, these ingredients that uh, that we usually uh, put on 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 our rice. Yeah. Uh, but then we present it in a different way. We use the tech. We combine the, this uh, the Japanese technique. We have uh, we have a stone bowl that mm. is hot. So then we serve it uh, in front of the guests. So this uh, this, for example, it, it's uh, it's it's quite nice because also we can interact with uh, with the guest immediately. Mm. So this is what's been the feedback so far from from a lot of the clients and yeah, the very, diners. Very good. So it's amazing feedback. So which which is uh, which it's it's amazing when. Uh, when we have this this feedback, um, we had people all over the world coming. Of course, we have some Portuguese coming, uh, which is for me this is very important. So I'm I'm like I feel like I'm representing my country also here. The culture. I was going to say, is there something that's very authentic to you growing up that you've kind of incorporated in the menu? Yeah, sure. What that, it, which dish? Like uh, we have the chicken piri piri. Yeah, also. you got to have chicken piri piri. Yeah. Uh, 
and uh, and we have our, our code also, for example. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, those uh, those I think they are they are really authentic. We have seafood rice also. That mm. uh, obviously this is uh, something that uh, that is present in in every in every in every family in Portugal. So we always have this this mm. seafood rice also. What have what have the, has the feedback been from Japanese people? Japanese, we had a few Japanese coming. Also, they are they are uh, they are amazed by the by the quality of the of the of the proteins of the fish. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, and the sushi. We have our sushi master also. I was going to so. say, do you do you you have a sushi master? But when you were learning how to make Japanese food, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned from sushi chefs and Japanese chefs that were very different to European chefs? Yeah, myself, I'm not a sushi master. Of mm. course, I, I I know how to make uh, sushi and everything. But trying to learn from, for example, the, from the Japanese that I've worked with in Switzerland. So they are very meticulous. So you have to be really, really perfect and do exactly like they say. If not, <laughs> your your finger's going to get chopped yeah, off. Yeah, something like that. So when you so what is the main difference? Do you think you've said that they're very meticulous? Is there anything else like some lessons you you carry with you from these chefs that you use and you learn from them when it comes to discipline? Or I mean, I mean, I know that chefs are perfect, very perfectionists anyway. Yeah, sure, but I think Japanese take this to an extreme. Wow! Yeah, really. Then and then also their personality. Also, they yeah. are, they are you know they are very very patient and uh, compared to the Portuguese chef. <laughs> yeah, we are more you know we are more like Southern European. Uh, it's, we are more uh, more we have more uh, our emotions straight away. They they come out <laughs> in the kitchen. And they're very like. Uh, do they stay calm? Yeah, yeah. You, you. They usually Japanese. No, they. You, you cannot. You cannot. Uh, they always stay very very calm. Yeah, do you know, it's interesting. I met, um, I interviewed uh, Chef Nobu once. He was the calmest, sweetest, gentlest. And I'm like, do you not get stressed? Because being a chef can be quite stressful, I think. Yeah, it's very stressful. Uh, There are so many... So many uh, things involved in the kitchen. So you have the pressure yeah. when you cook. You have yeah. also to deal with different nationalities, personalities. Yeah. And it's hot in that kitchen. Yeah, So exactly. the heat doesn't help as well. Mm, but no. Chef, thank you so much. Uh, remind everybody again where they can find the restaurant. So they can find us on the 24th floor of the Sheraton Mall of Emirates. And uh, we are open for lunch and dinner. We have, for example, our business lunch. So please... Yes. We invite everyone to, to come. Thank you so much, Chef. Thank That's, you so much. Thank you. Make sure you come back next time with food, okay? Sure. I invite you also to our <laughs> restaurant, please. That's Oanjo uh, Restaurant. You can find that at the Sheraton at the Mall of Emirates. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. So award-winning chef Ali Fouad is the head chef at Al Nafura, located at Jamira Alcazar. And I was actually there a few days ago. And, you know, the food was so good. And I'm not joking here. I actually bought it back with me and ate it the next day. I think they gave me a release form as well because I took the food home. Um, and he's joining us now. I even met him there. How are you doing, Chef Ali? How are you doing? I know you're on Teams, but I can see you. Can you hear me, Chef? Yeah, I can hear you. Hello. Is it a busy day today? Actually, yeah, we start being busy. You're, First, you're, you're fasting, yeah. right? Yeah. How yeah. How's the second day going as a chef fasting? Because it's busy actually, for you. Yeah, actually, I didn't expect that I will be in this energy. So it's great. It's great. Are you in the car, chef, right now? Yeah. What in are you? The hotel. Oh, you're in, the ho- you're in the hotel? 
Yes. Oh, I thought you were in the car then. I'm like, what are you doing talking to me in the car? Right, yeah. okay. So your energy levels, are do- you're doing fine for right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So <laughs> we met the other day. And there's a lot I have to say about your food. And it, it's really nice to meet the chefs that I talk to. Um, and then they give me a bit of background on the food. So let's share it with everybody else. Um, go back a little bit, a bit of a peek into your culinary journey. When did your passion for cooking actually start? What age were you? Uh, actually, uh, first of all, it was the idea of my father. I studied uh, from 2000 uh, in uh, university and school. I started after school immediately to study hospitality. Can I ask you a question? That's interesting that your father gave you the idea. Was he into food? Yeah, actually, yeah. My dad is a baker. And Ah. he had his own business even till now, till present. I see. Yeah. So you didn't want to go into baking. You wanted to uh, kind of do all kinds of cooking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So kind of uh, like, you know, because the the Lebanese uh, Lebanese kitchen is known or Lebanese food is known worldwide. So it's uh, aside from baking, it's part actually his his job is part of the food that I'm serving also right now. Right now. Yeah. So I'm doing the same that he, he used to do before. Uh, so I start in uh, 2000. I don't remember because it's years back. Uh, slowly, slowly, I before I came to Dubai 2006, so I was working like four or five years in hospitality in Lebanon. So let's say in 2000. And then I came in 2006 to Dubai and uh, it happens from there slowly, slowly. And I have the passion actually to to be being a chef. So it was not only his idea. I accept the idea immediately because I also uh, prefer this idea before. And it happens, and I'm happy that uh, in which level I am now and where we reach in uh, food industry. Yeah, because when I, when I met you, I said, oh, you look really young. You've got a little baby face. And he said, uh, that's he said, I'm not young. And I said, but you look young. And I was quite surprised how far you got in your career. I mean, the ambience, I have to say, the ambience, you moved from, was it Emirates Towers and Nafura was there first? Yes, it was in Emirates Towers. Uh, Anafura, it's been in the market for uh, 21 years. Wow. Actually. Yeah, and it was, it was started in Emirates Towers. And in 2021, two years back, we transferred it only. We transferred it to Medina Jumeirah Al-Qasr. Yeah, and I have to say, it's such a beautiful place. Um, I, I went there when a restaurant was there before. But the, just, just sitting outside, you're next to the, you know, the, the arbors going past. Why do yeah. you think it's had such longevity? Because it's an Arabic restaurant. You've got a lot of competition. Uh, actually, uh, uh, for me, it's always when I ask this, I've been asked this question before, always consistency and repeated guests. Uh, pe- people, they are uh, like, uh, how we call it, uh, they are uh, loyal to the, to, the, yeah. to, the, to, the, to the restaurant because what uh, I do or we do with the team uh, to keep, uh, to send the message them, to keep them uh, eating the, the, the best Lebanese food, even they feel that they are visiting Lebanon in this, uh, in this journey or on, upon their visit to us. Yeah. So we keep the consistency from years back, from 20 years back. Let's say that the hummus is still the same from 20 years back. Wow. Changes. But so this is the, the successful point on it. Yeah, so here's the thing. So I, I went a few days ago and I said to the chef, just just you recommend whatever you want to bring, but don't bring too much because I don't like wasting food. And he and they brought falafels. I'm not a fan of falafels because most of the time I have them, they're hard inside or very dry. And I was like, oh, so I, so I t- took a bite and 
I'm very honest if I like something or don't. And I told him, I said, this is the best falafel I've ever had in my life. I'm not a falafel expert, but it was the fluffiest, softest falafel. And I will only go there now for falafels, even if I have to pay three times as much at Chimera. I don't care. What makes, do you make it fresh? And is it the average yeah. restaurant might fry it after being frozen? Is that why it's so soft? Yeah, yeah, it depends because it might be frozen. It might be for for them. For for me, it's just like immediately fresh. And there's always a trick and the secret behind each chef, uh, w- the way that he cook any item, falafel or anything. So yeah, it's definitely for sure it's fresh, and uh, homemade definitely as well because uh, some people they in uh, uh, places that they do a uh, they don't have a manpower. So it depends how they do it or if they supply it or what. But from my side and my place in Annafura at Alcacer's, I do it fresh and uh, I'm happy that you love it. My pleasure that I make you love falafel again. Yeah, but what I want to ask you is if I called Nafura, would they do a falafel delivery for me? <laughs> just Because <just laughs> I don't think it's on Talabat or anything like that. So, but Can we organise yeah. this, please? Right, Chef, do not go anywhere. I'm going to come back to you after the break. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. So Alfaro restaurant chef Ali is with me. Uh, he is from Lebanon. Now, uh, let's talk about the food. I mean, seriously, I had, uh, I'll go through what I, you gave me. You gave me this fig salad, which was incredible because I love savory and sweet stuff together. Did you come up with that? Is that the chef Ali salad? Yeah, actually, this is the Chef Ali Teta Salad. Actually, it reminds me with my grandmother. Oh. So she used the, she liked the, the, the rocket leaves, actually, when uh, when we, I always visit her place. And she liked nuts. So I I uplift the idea mm-hmm. and I call it Chef Ali Teta Salad. Teta, it means grandmother in, in, in Arabic, in my language. So that's a reason uh, to keep uh, this uh, recipe in in the restaurant. And I'm glad and happy that all people love it. And I have a great feedback on this idea. It's been been one year and a half, this uh, salad in the menu. And I can't remove it at all now because all people get used on... This, uh, this lovely salad. Yeah, add that with the falafels to the delivery option, okay? The, it's going <laughs> up the list on my, my delivery menu. And also you had dates there. Now you were telling me on the day that the dates are from, uh, the dates are local and then the figs are from Lebanon. So yeah. where do you get a lot of your ingredients from? Yeah, so in general, uh, most of the ingredients is uh, ba- from back home, Lebanon. Mm. And this is the main point of success for uh, for uh, Nafura for me using these products. Uh, but uh, the, the, for uh, to come up on the first point for the idea of the salad, uh, yes, uh, because dates is known in GCC. This is how I I think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, figs known in a dry figs actually, not all fresh figs. It's mm-hmm. dry figs in Lebanon. We are known about it. And then walnuts, the the, the Arabic Lebanese walnut. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- that's how I always bring ideas. So I, something that because we are located in our lovely, lovely country, as we call it our home, Dubai. Uh, so we need to bring something that it's uh, created here in the local market, plus uh, specific things that it can't be. It should be from uh, the, the homegrown uh, uh, Lebanon. Yeah. And you, then I had sea bass, which was oh, so good. So, so good. And I had it the next day too. I kept it well in the fridge and I heated it well. Don't worry, I I survived. But it was really, really, just just because of that, you know, that form I had to sign to say I've taken food away. Um, So what about Ramadan? 
iftar? I mean, is the menu changing? Are you adding different things to it? Yeah, actually, for iftar, we have a special offer now, a set menu. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome all guests for uh, two hours and a half for Ramadan timing. After iftar, we do having a, uh, a normal a la carte menu plus a special offers. We uh, also, uh, it's aside from the a la carte menu till uh, 12. 30 at the timing. We extend a little bit also the timing for Anafur and Ramadan. So oh, okay. So, yeah, so you've got iftar and then afterwards people can just order off the menu up until 12.30, you said? Yes. After iftar, yeah, we start. Uh, so iftar will be till 8. Yeah. Uh, uh, 8.30, we start uh, preparing for the a la carte menu or normal operation. Let's, uh, let's call it from yeah. 9 till 12.30. We are welcoming all guests who's fasting or not fasting again to Anafur. That's so. Oh, everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. Everybody should go there, I'm telling you. And um, you're the recipient of many culinary awards, including being a three-time winner of the Middle East Speciality Chef. You know these awards, do they inspire you? Do they challenge you? Or do they push you further? What do, what do they mean to you? Uh, actually, it's kind of appreciation for, uh, the, for, for, for myself. I'm talking about myself, definitely. They appreciate your hard work. Uh, they can see you. Yes, uh, uh, this place or this chef is uh, doing his best. He's sending the message from his heart. He's cooking uh, from. Uh, he's cooking with love. Mm. So uh, it's kind of appreciation appreciation for me, and definitely it's pushed me to uh, to uh, to bring more and more uh, success uh, for uh, in my career and also in the brand that I'm working for. And definitely Anna Fora now. Okay, well, Chef Ali, um, thank you so much for the beautiful food the other day. Um, think about the falafel delivery. I think it will do really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll open my own, own business. Oh my God. And yeah, seriously, I do not have a love for, for falafels. You've changed my world. That's how powerful you are as a chef. <laughs> All right, Chef, take care. Have a lovely Ramadan. And I will see you. Ramadan for everybody. Yes, you too. See you soon. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. Now I'm on to my next guest. We are talking food, Foodie Friday, Farmer's Kitchen. Let's get back to it. And I'm going to talk about vegetarian food, but Indian vegetarian food. Now, there's a lot of choice when it comes to Indian cuisine in the vegetarian area. Uh, area, And also, you know, we have a lot of spices, so it's very flavorable. <clears throat> Excuse me. But a lot of people think vegetarian food can be bland. But with, with Indian cuisine growing up, you know, you've got the great dals, you've got the vegetarian dishes, the subjis, as we call them. And with me now is Sanjeet Advani. He's director of operations at My Govinda, and they focus Unhealthy Indian pure vegetarian food. How are you doing, Sanjeet? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me here. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. Is it not busy at Govinda's today? Did you? <laughs> uh, actually, it will get busier after um, iftar. So I have to ask. I know it's a family business. What? How are you related to the family? Uh, so my father started um, my Govinda's in 2001. Um, I joined the business three years ago. Basically, COVID, March 2020, exactly three years ago. Why Govinda, the name? Is that your dad's name? or? So it actually has three meanings. Um, firstly, it, it was my grandfather's name. His nice. name was Govindram. Mm-hmm. Um, Govind also in Sanskrit means to satisfy your senses. Um, and then also it is another name for Krishna. 
Oh, wow. So there's a lot around this whole name. Absolutely. And when you say my Govindas, where is the my from? Uh, so it's it's generally when someone says, I'm going to my Govindas, ah, it's I like see. their own, you know, yeah. home. Um, their own home. We've been um, in the, in Dubai for the last 22 years um, and people have grown up in the restaurant uh, we've seen kids grow up, go to college, come back, and they still love the same food that they had 20 years ago. 20 years ago. So you used to hang out in the restaurant. Did you help dad when you were younger? Uh, I'd say not help, but run around and That's uh, what kids are supposed be a little to do. mischievous. And did you steal, did you eat the food there? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you cook yourself? I used to cook. Mm. Um, not so much anymore after you moved back to Dubai with all the conveniences we have. Uh, but when I used to live alone in Switzerland and uh, the US, I used to. Absolutely. So you you studied hospitality too, right? Yes. So I did my undergrad in hospitality. And in, did your dad influence you or inspire you to do that? Or was just being in Dubai growing up, there's a lot of foods, uh, restaurants popping up? I wouldn't say specifically my dad. Uh, but obviously, like, I was, what, six years old when my dad opened the restaurant. Um, so obviously, that's a huge influence you're growing up in the restaurant, basically. And then also Dubai has been always a, a great scene for restaurants, especially uh, different concepts um, from ranging from like high end to like your cafeteria. Um, yeah, that's, it's, it's a lot of influence from Dubai in general as well. So you were doing a, a master's and you were working in America. Was your plan to stay there for a bit longer before the pandemic started? So I, ideally I would have liked to had, have some more experience um, in the US. I was actually working as a business analyst, so nothing related so to... So how, how did that happen? <laughs> Why didn't you want to go into hospitality? I, I was planning, I was, after doing my undergrad, I did a couple of internships and worked in some hotels. Yeah. Uh, it's tough, isn't it, when you work in hotels? It is. I used to be a waiter in Rotana over here in Media City. Yeah. Um, I used to do room service, working as a waiter, banquets. It's really, really taxing. But you know, I think it's really good. My cousin worked in hospitality in a hotel and he said, you have to work from the bottom up. And that's how you learn. That's how you become a good manager. Absolutely. Till you are on the ground level, how can you tell your, your employees like what they're doing wrong or train them yeah. or teach them? How do you know what they're doing right? Um, so yeah, that's, I wanted to take a break from hospitality and kind of get different experiences. Yeah. So I studied business and analytics yeah. from a master's. Yeah. Um, and then I worked as a business analyst for a year in Jersey. Okay. So you came over and you decided you wanted to help dad, right? Absolutely. So we had one outlet at that point in mm. 2020. Um, and I just was doing some market research and just understanding our business on the ground level. Mm. Um, today we have... Five outlets. We have a cloud kitchen in Abu Dhabi. And, and are you to thank for this? I would say my team and I. Uh, you know, we've, we were 40 people in 2020. Mm -hmm. Today we're 150 people. Mm -hmm. um, you can't do anything alone, you know. No, you um, can't. You're right, Sanjay. Never. No. Um, and we also have increased our offerings in terms of before we were just doing food. Um, today we're doing a lot of Indian mitai, so the whole range of Indian sweets. <sighs> Uh, we also have a healthier take on it. So we have... Yeah, we're going to talk about this because there's a word that popped up when I was reading on your website and I was like, I've never heard this word. So I want to talk about why it's vegetarian and what the focus is on this particular food. I think it's linked to Ayurvedic. Uh, is that Absolutely, right? Yes. Yeah, let's talk about that. Do not go anywhere. We're going to be back. 
This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. So from My Govinda's, which is an Indian vegetarian restaurant, uh, Sanjeet is joining me. His dad actually opened the restaurant over 20 years ago. Um, tell us about the food. Now, there's something that you talk about, sattvic diet. Is this what you serve at the restaurant? Sure, yes, that's absolutely what we do sell. Um, we say we serve healthy Indian food, and the philosophy that we follow is sattvic food. Um, it's basically an ancient Ayurvedic technique of cooking, uh, way of cooking. Uh, we focus more on making it wholesome, nutritious, uh, balanced amount of fats, um, also looking at how you're sourcing your vegetables, um, and making sure that, you know, Indian food normally has that ghee. oil floating on top. <laughs> ghee is actually really good for you. No, ghee is very good. In moderation. And, in moderation. and I don't like restaurants that add cream and loads of oil because we don't do that at home. Exactly. So that's exactly what you would find at our, at our restaurant. You won't find oil floating on the top. Mm. We actually do have a separate menu, which is zero oil. So no butter, no ghee, no any kind of grease and Indian food. Yeah. Um, it's unheard of. Uh, so that's basically what sattvic food is. It's and did you grow up as a vegetarian? It runs in the family. So I've been vegetarian for now 20 years, uh, 18 years. Why, why did your dad want to make it purely vegetarian? Was he a vegetarian? So we all used to actually eat um, meat, chicken, yeah. fish. Um, and then my father became vegetarian. And the idea behind opening Go- My Govinda's was that he couldn't find good vegetarian food yeah. in Dubai at that time, especially. Interesting. Um, and food that's light on your stomach. Well, you know? I, I love going to Indian vegetarian restaurants because I think they, they're kind of focused around home-cooked food, Absolutely. you know, rather than very expensive Indian restaurants, which are quite, can be quite great visually, beautiful taste, but they can be quite heavy. Yes. So I, I, I'm kind of like... When I see a pure vegetarian, I was at one actually with the thali and everything in yeah. Bird Dubai and I sat there and ate, ate it and I really liked it. Um, I know it's Ramadan. Tell me about um, the kindness fridge and you're doing meals for taxi drivers. So this is something we've uh, been doing for quite a few years now. I think I'd say 10 years. Mm. Uh, we out, Outside each of our outlets, we have a kindness fridge mm. where we stock it up with food throughout the day, yeah. uh, lunch and dinner, for anyone to come and take at any point of time, no questions asked, yeah. for people in need. So this really um, helped a lot of people during COVID. Uh, we had lions waiting outside our restaurant for people who couldn't afford a meal. That's amazing. Um, and then uh, something that we do during Ramadan uh, for the last four years, mm. we partner with Hala Taxi and we provide iftar meals for their taxi drivers. Yeah. So they can come at any of our outlets and pick up uh, an iftar meal whenever they want to break their fast. And this year we're doing around 5,000 meals. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's amazing. And can you tell us where all your locations are? Because I like the way you <laughs> described the original one. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we have our outlets in uh, JLT, Silicon Oasis, um, Arjan. Mm. Uh, we recently opened um, our outlet in Dera. And then the OG one is in Karama. The OG Mike Govinda's in Karama. I love it. Sanjeet, thank you so much. I think I'll have to come to the JLT one that's closer to me and check it For out. For sure. Always welcome. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Well, we 
we've got a lady in the studio who's done pretty well in the F&B industry herself. She's not a chef, but she does have some tips and guidance. And she's also the managing director of one of the most prominent hospitality summits in the Middle East, which is taking place in May. We're going to find out about that. And she's the managing director of The Bench. And she's been up since five because she has a 15-month-old and a six-year-old because that's how strong us women are. She's doing it all. How are you, Jennifer Pettinger? I'm very well. <laughs> Thank you for having me did, on. Did and you like that? Cream. I do. Ramadan I like cream. That. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's because we were chatting off and she told me a lot about her life. So I thought I'd throw, <laughs> throw that in. It's hard to keep me quiet. <laughs> so tell us a little bit um, first about Bench. What is your day-to-day role and what does Bench do? I've never heard of it before. So the Bench, basically, we, uh, we're best known for our work in the hospitality industry. We've been connecting people in hospitality investment for the last 25 years. So um, we have the Arabian Hospitality Investment Conference, which has been running here in Dubai for the last, we're going, God, into our 19th year this year. And um, the Global Restaurant Investment Forum, which I founded eight years ago. And really, these events bring the hospitality investment industry together in one place to do business, to gain inspiration, to find out what's happening in the industry and to connect. So let's talk about what's happening in the industry, because I remember when I came 16 years ago, most of the, you know, the most popular restaurants were in these big fancy hotels. Then I left Dubai. Then I came back and suddenly there were all these small boutique hotels and independent restaurants just like spurting up everywhere, really good, not attached to any hotels. So how long have you been here? I've been here for 15 years now. Yeah, so around the same time. So what changes have you seen? Oh, it's incredible. I think the the shift that you've seen. I remember... When I first got here, desperately driving around kind of the Al Rouge Rotana, trying to find Circle Cafe, because oh, I heard that they, I went there. <laughs> I heard that they had coffee. They had good coffee. So, and, and now you're just spoiled for choice. It's incredible. It was so, I, I heard the last time I could be wrong about 19,000 restaurants or cafes in total here. Is I that think true? it's something around that. I know that the, um, the restaurant group is doing a lot of really good work. And the UAE restaurant group is doing a lot of good work to try and collect data. Um, so last I heard, I think it's around that number, but don't quote me. So what are some of the trends that you're seeing um, come into play? Because one of the chefs told me, he goes, you know, there's different trends. Sometimes you see really good burger joints springing up. Then you'll see Asian cuisine coming to the forefront. Then sushi or what are you noticing at the moment? Is there anything that's, you know, at the forefront that's going to spring up that's going to be big? Well, I think what's really interesting at the moment is that you're seeing, as you said, lots of these really small places open. So we're seeing a lot of chefs that have come out of big names like, you know, like the Zoomers, like the LPMs, and that are now opening their own places, these little unlicensed joints like in Jamira. um, And you're seeing things that previously, you know, you didn't have, as you said, you used to go, have to go to hotels for it. Now you're seeing a lot more chef-led concepts that are much more focused on the cuisine. And they're also creating a mixology experience that doesn't revolve around alcohol. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. And I think it's so focused on the food. But you know, um, you're talking about a lot of these chefs opening restaurants. What do you think of this whole um, supper club uh, scene? Because I've been to a few and one or two I mean, you know, we can talk about Kanoya, who is now, you know, she's done extremely well. And there's loads popping up now. 
I think it's really interesting because um, as you've seen with Kanoya, it's a gateway to actually opening a restaurant. But I think also what it demonstrates is I think around the world, there's been a complete tsunami in terms of changing the way that people want to experience their food and that they want to eat. And I think that the kind of the idea of having sitting down and having a three course meal is out the window in some cases. And it's really interesting you mentioned supper clubs because I was having a conversation earlier today and they mentioned this fine dine club that is not here in Dubai. But what they do is basically you buy an NFT. So you buy an NFT of a one-star Michelin chef, you buy an NFT of a two-star Michelin chef or an NFT of a three-star Michelin chef. And that gives you entry into this club. And then they curate dining experiences for you. You have kind of members' dinners. And this whole idea of being surrounded by other people who want to have these really exceptional culinary experiences, but at a really high level. And this is the thing. I think these kind of things are all about bringing people together and people you don't know. It's, It's not just about the food. It's about the community, talking about the food. I want your advice on buffets. Do you think they need to stop? I know it's like this massive culture. I actually met the godfather of the buffet. He was He exists. Uh, yeah, he was on the show. <laughs> but I'm getting to that point where I don't like seeing food waste. And buffets, there's a lot of food wastage. It's really funny you mentioned that because I actually this morning had breakfast with Emma Banks of Hilton. And Emma has been a crusader in terms of sustainability mm. within um, not just this region, but mm. throughout the region she manages with Hilton. And what they have done this year is they've created, I'm going to get it wrong, Emma, I apologize, but they've created basically a green kind of Ramadan. So they've got Ramadan tents and they've partnered with the UN on messaging that is basically like, you know, be considerate about your consumption think about what's going to waste. And they've partnered with people like Winnow, mm. who actually measure the food waste, and they're tracking that really closely. They've also done a lot in terms of looking at, you know, the carbon footprint of where the food's coming from yeah. and also partnering with organizations that then use the food for kind of other purposes. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about this um, hospitality summit in the Middle East. Um, it's happening in May. What This is happening in May that you're the managing director of. Yes, that's correct. How many people are turning up? What's going to happen there? Is it where people go, I want to invest in this franchise or I want to open this restaurant? What happens at these summits? So basically, it's really, I mean, that's part of it. So I think kind of the whole deal making is one side of it. But I think also it's really about creating that community and connections with people. The hospitality industry is amazing because they love it. As you heard with Chef Ali, he's in it because he's passionate about it. Yeah. So that's what's so fun about kind of doing these events and bringing these people together is because they love getting together. Yeah, and I love these chefs because they're passionate about cooking and I'm passionate about eating their food. (laughs) It's a great combination. (laughs) Um, But I mean, in Riyadh in May, um, we're basically going to be part of the Future Hospitality Summit, which is more focused on the hotel investment side. Mm. Um, but F&B, it plays such a huge part in hotels now as well. Massive, yeah. Um, but with Griff, what we're doing is looking at the new innovations that have come on in the industry, looking at celebrating what's happening from a GCC perspective. Mm. There's so many GCC concepts which are coming up now that yeah. are homegrown, as yeah. we were talking totally. about. Totally, and they're amazing. Incredible. And, I mean, we've got amazing people like Roya Sella from um, founder of Villa Mama. Um, we've got the founder of the Independent, independent Foods, which is Salt in Somewhere. And um, I met this incredible woman who has this uh, restaurant in 
Bujari Terrace. We're doing a tour, culinary tour of GCC Concepts in Bujari Terrace. Yeah. That's just open at Daria Gate. And she's created a concept called Alto Piano that basically fuses Italian cuisine with Saudi cuisine. So I just had a chef on who does Portuguese and Japanese fusion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of fusion going on right now. I did Indian and British uh, growing up in England, obviously, but that's <laughs> quite common right now. Okay, Jennifer. Well, um, this is mainly for people who obviously are in that industry. Do, can people turn up to the summit if they wanted to? Yes, if you go to futurehospitalitysummit.com, and then there's information about how to attend. But it's basically for um, people who are in the industry. We really bring people together, as I said, to learn about what's going on. So it's you know, educational. It's about the connections. It's about also inspiration, I think, because there's so much happening. There's so many people out there who are doing amazing things. So we really want to showcase that. But also at the end of the day, it's about helping people further their business. Mm. So I think what's different about what we do is we really look at it from a how can you grow your restaurant into you know, more than just the one or the two or the three. Yeah. And how can we connect people who may be looking at getting into the European market or people from the European market who are looking at um, opening something here in the GCC? Okay, Jennifer, thank you so much. I hope you get some sleep tonight. Make sure you tune into Farmer's Kitchen every Friday from 2 to 5 p.m.